Hi Andy, welcome to Photographers on Fire. Hi Simon, it's good to be here. Hey, how's your day going so far? Uh, it's going well, yeah, it's, uh, it's been busy, it's been pretty much non-stop. Um, school holidays, kids to look after and everything, and it kind of, uh, yeah, fitting in every ounce of work around that really. Oh, so it's busy, yeah. busy times well, in Thank the you for giving up your precious time for us. That's uh, a pleasure. Hey, so love to start with hearing a bit about you, your backstory, kind of what you were doing before weddings came along. Sure, okay. So, um, I mean, well, it's how far do we go back? Well, I had a kind of normal job, for want of a better word, for uh, probably 10, 15 years, actually, it was. Um, I worked in finance. I kind of was a project manager. And uh, throughout all of that time, I was kind of gravitating towards doing something more creative. And, um, you know, the sort of industries I was in, there wasn't really much opportunity to do that. So photography was always there for me in the background. It has been a lifelong interest, lifelong passion. And it came a point where I decided to do more with it. I decided to push myself, develop my skills, uh, develop my learning, and just really make a go of, of uh, you know, turning professional. And I did that about six years ago with a mind to being a kind of newborn photographer. That was, uh, that was a fairly niche kind of market at the time, certainly where I lived um, down in Dorset. There weren't really that many people who were uh, just concentrating on newborns. So for me, it looked like an opportunity, it looked like quite a niche, and that's what I started off doing. Uh, weddings were almost, uh, I won't say an accident, because it was always uh, you know, something that I, I worked hard towards, but it was something I hadn't planned to do. Um, I was asked to, to cover a wedding, as many people are, and uh, I initially said no. I kind of I didn't want to do that. <laughs> and the reason for that was because I had an impression of what I thought wedding photography was, and it was not something that really appealed to me creatively. I had this image that weddings were very staged and kind of posed, which was um, largely due to weddings that I'd actually been to myself. But these people were very understanding. They, they kept nagging me. They said, look, we know your style. We know how you work with families and with kids. And that's really what we want. We want someone that's not going to be doing posy stuff, not going to be uh, influencing our day, but is really just there to capture it as it goes on. And um, after a little bit of arm twisting, I agreed. I put myself on some training courses, which didn't really help too much. And I just went ahead and did it. In the end, I kind of thought, right, you know, I've got this opportunity. I'll do it with my uh, interpretation of the day. And I absolutely loved it. It was brilliant. I, I had a fantastic time. It pushed me creatively. I, you know, really stepped out of my comfort zone that I'd gotten into. And most importantly, that the clients loved what I did. Yeah. And it kind of went from there. It snowballed. So that, that first year, after not really intending to, to shoot any weddings, I shot, I think, about five in a six-month period that was all word of mouth. And then it just grew and grew from there, really. Nice. So what is it about like, people photography then? Because obviously going for newborns and families... Why is it that people photography excites you so much? That's a very good question. I have a healthy respect for all forms of photography. It's the people side that certainly interests me the most, but I, I absolutely recognize the beauty and landscape photography, um, you know, any kind of number of uh, aspects, even the fine art and sort of really stage photography, uh, even fashion photography, all of these things, I kind of recognize the, the skills, the talent and the passion that goes into all of those things. For me personally, I don't have the patience for a lot of those. And I, I think that's what, what it stems from. So landscape photography, the best landscape photographers, you know, you've got to be the right place, the right time, the right day. The lighting's got to be correct. And it takes a lot of patience. And that's why the, the work that these guys do is just so phenomenal, because they put that level of care and attention into it. Yeah, I kind of I don't really have that that mindset to do that. You know, that that's that's not what it was about for me. 
Whereas with, with people, you know, you, you've got your subjects there and it's very fast paced. And I think coming from a, a kind of corporate background, there's a, a level of pressure there because you need to get things right. Uh, and you need to be able to do it in a f- certain time without impacting those people that you're working with too much. And, and that's really something that I think drew me to the people side of things. And it's changing constantly. You know, you have to work with location that you're in, the lighting that's there, all of these, all of these elements that come together. Yeah, no, fantastic. And parts of the way that you describe your own style is all those words that come up, documentary, photojournalism, reportage. And you actually go into some detail in sort of breaking down what they actually mean and what they mean to you. Are you able to do that for us now in terms of the difference that you see between documentary and photojournalism? Yeah, I can. And it's we're talking very subtle differences here because this is all photography that stems from um, storytelling, really. It's all about capturing within a single image or within a set of images um, because there's a slight distinction between those as well an image and telling a story you know it's being able to convey a scene um, or a character or a personality photographically so documentary I think that's what relates more to me to a set of images so you're kind of compiling a set of images which convey I think is is the word to describe it or you know record that scene and, and show it to somebody else in a way that they understand what has happened so for weddings that's that's really key you know you've got this incredible life event a family event pulling together um, you know many people or, or sometimes not many people at all at the other end of the spectrum and you want the the couple or their families or whoever's looking at those images you know in time to be able to get a sense of the day and that's what documentary it's about you know it's that story it's kind of telling a story of a day the the very subtle difference between that and photojournalism and if we kind of take it back to pure photojournalism you know from some of the greats then it's about what you can record in a single image so what within a single frame can how can you tell a story and that's what uh, you know some of the great war photographers like Don McCullum for example they they'll try and produce a scene which really shows what's going on at that particular time now that that image may form part of a larger set but as an individual piece of work an individual image that to me sums up photojournalism you know we can take it back to the great days of newspapers and you would have maybe a you know front page with an incredible powerful scene on it and and that really is uh, the essence of photojournalism to me so there's a fine difference between them you know you could you could argue that documentary photography is a collection of photojournalistic images you know but at, at the end of the day what they're both trying to do what everything's trying to do is to tell that story and to convey that story hmm. and all these kind of words does it matter that the client or the couples really understand that or if, whether they just like the images that they see i think fundamentally it does come down to that the reason i've gone to pains to explain it on my website in the past or you know in conversations with clients is because i think they've almost been bamboozled into what different styles might be you know they they might i've had people say to me you know what's what's the difference between normal wedding photography and reportage and so on and they've almost just seen these terms used without any kind of like real grounding to them you know without really kind of having an understanding of, of, of what it's trying to say but no ultimately you know they can look at a portfolio look at a set of images look at work that's on someone's website and it's whether they like that enough to think that this is how they want to uh, you know, entrust their day to somebody. There's also another aspect that you talk about, which is the fine art kind of approach where the photographer's got some or more creative influence than just letting the day run. 
Can you go into a little bit more detail about that kind of style and how you maybe combine then all three together in your overall style and approach to shooting a wedding? Yeah, so fine art for me is, uh, again, it's that kind of single image, which really is a, a showpiece image. So fine art, um, I always envision as the images which are potentially going to end up on someone's wall. You know, they're the, the, the ones that we might end up being putting in a beautiful frame, that kind of wow image um, that you may get throughout the day. Maybe there's one or two of those in an album. Maybe it's the showpiece one, like I say, that, that goes on the wall. There's a couple of elements to this. So there's, it's fine art in terms of it's maybe a little bit more structured than just a photojournalistic image or reportage image that's happened because we've actually put some thought into placement or you know how the couple are maybe standing or, or what they're actually doing. So there, there is an element of thought that's gone into it, particularly around the lighting, um, making the most of the lighting that's there. I'm, I'm predominantly a natural light photographer. So, you know, it would be a question of looking for those lighting opportunities to really create a, um, a stunning singular image. Now, how that links back to photojournalism and documentary for me is it's about creating the environment, creating the, the kind of space that that beautiful image can happen without me influencing it too much. And that's key. I don't want to be spending a lot of time putting my couples into... Uh, uncomfortable poses or making them feel that they're doing something that's not part of their wedding day you know they're having to spend a lot of time potentially out of their wedding day which they don't want to be doing so it's more about creating that situation where the image happens in order to capture that one singular wow frame well thank you for explaining that that's that's awesome so your route into weddings you was through an associate program with Alistair Freeman how, how has that helped you progress and given you value in what you're doing now so yeah, the associate uh, program with with Alistair has absolutely you know transformed my career. There's there's no doubt about that. So I'd gone from uh, I think I'd been about in business about eighteen months and I'd shot a certain amount of weddings on my own. I'd started to cover those weddings as I mentioned earlier in in a kind of way that felt right to me. And what I didn't know at the time was that that was really the sort of documentary approach. Through Twitter, I kind of became aware of more current UK photographers who maybe, um, you know, adopted that approach and that style. And Alistair Freeman is, you know, he was one of the names that was out there. Uh, He's absolutely one of the kind of foremost documentary photographers in the UK, was then, still is now. And I just got to know Alistair a little bit via Twitter, knew his work, just saw more of what he did and thought, wow, this is the way that I want to be working. And uh, an opportunity came up to be an associate photographer with him. You know, that in itself required uh, applications and sort of me putting myself forward for it and an interview process. But I was uh, very fortunate to get that position. And, and it, as I said, it absolutely transformed my, my whole career, really, because I went from you know, shooting five or six weddings in my first half year to the next year. I think I did uh, something like 30 and then it was 40 weddings a year after that. That was purely through Alistair's guidance, his mentoring and also the way we were able to share the work between us. But the, the initial six months that I spent working with Alistair as an associate, it just absolutely transformed my whole way of working from uh, capture uh, right the way through to workflow and delivery of images. That's fantastic because some people do struggle with getting their feet on the ground and knowing which direction to take and having almost a, a master to, to guide you in your own kind of way is a fantastic way to do it. 
It absolutely was. Uh, I was incredibly fortunate at the time. I, I felt to to have that opportunity because you know where do you get that level of training, support, and guidance? Otherwise, you don't. It's very difficult to come by. You know, there may be workshops you can go on. There may be some extended training programs that you can go on. But to have hands-on shooting experience and guidance and feedback for that extended period of time was was invaluable to me. You know, if anyone ever has the opportunity for that level of mentoring, I would I would grasp it with both hands and, and just go with the opportunity because it, it really can transform the way you work. So, Andy, what does a typical day look for you when you're not shooting a wedding? Uh, yeah, so I like to get up early in the mornings. Uh, I, I find myself being very productive at that time of day. And over the last kind of couple of months, I found myself getting up earlier and earlier, you know, partly because uh, it's lighter this time of year. But it, I had a realization that I can just get so much done in the morning. So I'll get up early, uh, typically go for a run a couple of times a week, two or three times a week. And then I'll get back and I'll still manage a couple of hours of uh, work time quite often before the kids are up. Um, I always have a kind of little bit of time with the children, getting them ready for school and so on, getting them out the door. But then by the time I get back, uh, you know, back to the office, it's, uh, it's typically nine o'clock, which is, you know, the start of a working day for a lot of people. But then it takes me a little while to get my head into what I really need to do, which is, you know, turning around the processing for clients. That That is by far and away the most labor intensive aspect of the wedding works, it's particularly this time of year. You know, it's wedding season, shooting every weekend. There's always that that workflow to, to consider. With running a business, there's the uh, other side of things, which is still getting in the new business. So I'll typically tackle any kind of emails that have come in, any inquiries. I'll do that first thing. Uh, and then I'm normally ready to, to kind of progress with the, uh, with the processing. And how long do you spend processing a wedding? How long does it take you to turn one around? If I'm absolutely focused, I can turn a wedding around in probably a day and a half. Um, I, you know, I, I don't rush it. I, I do give myself breaks from the computer as well I think that's really important because yeah you know I've found myself feeling tired if you spend too long in front of the computer and all you need to do is give yourself that break every now and then I do stagger my work I do try and spread it out to just keep me motivated to kind of uh, you know turn around the weddings and because the processing it it takes a long time and there's, there's no denying that and no matter how good your workflow is if you really want to, to deliver a, a really high quality, refined product for your clients, you need, you need to spend the time in, in post-production. Yeah, of course. And have you got any advice for post-production itself? Any tips? Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I sat down and worked out my workflow. Everything from um, where my images were going to be stored, what my backup strategy was, um, how I would archive, all of those kind of things. And, and the data side of things is fairly boring to think about but it's absolutely essential you know we can't overstate how important it is to to make sure that you've got that strategy in place so that if anything goes wrong with a hard drive and it typically will at some point then you know how to recover from that so I a long time ago I sat down and I mapped out exactly what my storage strategy was and from that the workflow developed really so my workflow now uh, is everything from when I ingest my cards after a wedding I know that the process that I have in place means that those images are going to be secure and safe. So, you know, immediately I'll ingest them and they're, uh, sounds like I'm eating memory cards, doesn't it? But they're, they're immediately stored in two places. I've got my offsite backups running um, and I know that the images are safe. I, I can't sleep getting back from a wedding until I've done that, 
that part of the process. That's step one for me, even before a normal working day, even if I'm getting home at one in the morning, I won't go to bed until I make sure that those cards are backed up in another two places on site. So beyond that, the, the workflow really is, it's about speed, but it's about quality as well. So the speed side of things for me comes from using a, a program called Photo Mechanic. I don't know if you've heard of this. It's, uh, it's something that, you know, that can be quite popular with wedding photographers, purely because it it's such a quick program for culling through your images. So when you're at that stage of editing, um, you know, making your selections, it's incredibly fast, much faster than the, the cataloging in Lightroom is because it's not having to do any processing. There's no CPU overhead for using Photo Mechanic. It, it just uses the, the files themselves. So if you've got quick storage, it's great. You know, you just whiz through and you get that part done really quickly. Once you're into Lightroom, you, you know, you really want to be bringing in the minimum number of images to Lightroom in order to, to make that part of the process quicker. And then it's how you, how you deal with those images once they're in the system. I mean, Lightroom is my processing system of choice, has been for some years. I predominantly work with, with some presets um, that I've created and sort of tweaked and optimized as well over time just to really help my, uh, my speed of processing. Mapping out how exactly your images are stored is crucial. And then using something like Photo Mechanic to just speed up that initial process of picking the images, which can run into thousands. Exactly that. Yeah, I think so. The, you know, I, I, I still see on forums, um, Facebook groups and so on, occasionally people saying, please help me. I'm having a panic. I've lost images or a drive's failed and they just haven't got a, uh, you know, backup strategy in place. And they'll, they'll freely say, I know I should have done this, but you really shouldn't be shooting professionally essential work like weddings unless you've got an absolutely solid backup uh, strategy that's in place and that you've tested it and that you know it works yeah so you said off-site storage is that off-site physically or somewhere in the cloud a combination. I, what I do is uh, at the end of each year, I'll archive off um, the previous year's images just onto a, a portable hard drive and I'll, I'll give that to somebody else to store off site. But I also uh, have cloud storage, which is brilliant. It just runs in the background, um, constantly backing up everything. Uh, you know, there's so many solutions for this nowadays and I've used a few of them, but the one that I've settled on is CrashPlan. Uh, it's just such a solid system. You literally set up what you want it to back up um, and it will do it. It all just works in the background and you don't have to think about it. I test it a couple of times a year, make sure it's working as it, as it should be. But yeah, it's great. You know, I've got terabytes and terabytes of information stored that way, which is uh, it's fantastic to know it's there. I have had to use it. I've had to recover from it in the past when I've had a drive failure and it's, uh, yeah, it's proven itself. Yeah, good to know that. That's there for you. All right. And we're all self-employed effectively. We're our own bosses which has massive benefits, but there are also some disadvantages. For you, what's the hardest thing about being your own boss? It is keeping on top of everything that you need to do. You know, I've got a busy family life and the, the, the business is busy as well. And it's just keeping top on absolutely everything that's in there. I, I use a combination of things, like whether it's a, an application for managing my business online, which I use, or, you know, the, going back to the typical notebooks and so on that I have to use all of those things because it will just go out of my head otherwise and it's keeping on top of all of that I, I think the, the the greatest um you know thing that we have to worry about being self-employed being your own boss is is just making sure that the work keeps coming in that's that's key um obviously it's it goes without saying that's what keeps us in business it what is what keeps us afloat but when you're in a creative business for a lot of us the passion uh the, you know the love for it is in the the work, the creating of images, the production of images and the delivery of those for our clients. 
but we have to you know understand that it is a business and you have to have a business head on at certain points as well uh, everything from your kind of marketing to advertising you know getting getting clients in contracts bookkeeping accounting it's all essential and we have to do all of that as well so i think it's just the just the amount that you have to keep thinking about it's certainly not just taking pictures anymore <laughs> it's certainly not that no no and you mentioned then obviously we need the work to survive so and that client acquisition what do you what do you find are the best sources of of getting new new work in I think far and away, the best sources and the most consistently, I suppose, profitable bookings are the ones that come from referrals. So it's if you've built a good relationship, not just with past clients, but with anybody that your business touches, then that can really help in terms of the, uh, you know, the business coming in. And, and it's true what they say, you know, within business, networking is everything. And you have to conduct yourself in the right way professionally with everybody that you touch as part of your business or everybody that you come into contact with. So whether it's a venue, uh, whether it's uh, another supplier, you know, from the florist to the DJ, everybody that's within there, whether it's wedding planners, you have to make sure that your business is the first that they think about or one of the top ones that they think about when they're considering wedding photographers. So that's really key. I think maintaining all of those relationships and just make sure that you have that outwardly professional way of working is key but also of course the obvious one is is past clients so if you're doing a great job for your clients if they love what you're doing if they're excited about what you do if they're excited about showing their friends and family your images and then as a result of that you know friends and family they see your work and they they know that this is a a kind of strong business and they, they get excited about it as well then that's I think for me the most powerful thing there are so many other people that we can we can help with just how the pictures that we take so is it there are a dozen suppliers who are doing things that we can offer images for and help them out and give them a leg up and offer them professional pictures and just uh giving everything that you've got to everyone else is only gonna give do you favors i think it's just um it all comes full circle yeah and you have to think beyond the immediate you know is this somebody who is going to book me as a wedding photographer possibly not you know if it's a supplier or a venue they they might might not be the person that's going to book you but if they're excited about your images and if you've helped them they've got a family member or a friend who's looking for a wedding photographer then you know if you're the first person that they think of that they then suggest to those friends as well then absolutely you know that that's the way it works it's not always just those immediate first level of people that you meet it goes far beyond that do you find that you get much coming through social media avenues at all? So, yeah, I mean, the, the different social media channels I find uh, work quite well for different things. So Twitter has historically, for me, been a great way of networking with other photographers. Some of my clients end up on Twitter as well. But, you know, whether they know about me via Twitter to begin with, I, I'm not entirely sure. I think they probably find me on Twitter uh, afterwards. But, you know, certainly for networking, I think Twitter's been fantastic for me and I've met a lot of good uh, friends colleagues using that I mean I mentioned how I met Alistair that was via Twitter and it originally but yeah you know when you when you're networking with other photographers as well if they're they're busy and they're passing work to you then that's where Twitter is useful because you've built that relationship and then that other photographer who might already be booked for a date they're going to be thinking of you as well and possibly passing referrals your way by far I mean we know that Facebook is the social platform and it still is nothing nothing else can compare with it and I think with Facebook, its advertising and its reach has really matured over the last couple of years to become a, a viable way of, of getting good business. They've definitely improved how they, uh, with the tracking and the analytics, that you can really see how your posts are 
are impacting and, and the reach that they're, they're having and when to boost them and things like that. Absolutely. I think it's I think it's key. I think it's only going to grow more. Um, it's certainly somewhere I'm kind of moving my investment to um, away from some of the sort of more traditional channels or, you know, the, the channels that people have typically used over the last few years, such as Google, such as AdWords, which is now just almost too competitive, too expensive to be viable, I think, for a lot of people. But Facebook, certainly the, the control that you have, the tracking, the, the way that you're able to really target and hone your audience is, uh, is very strong. Mm, it is. Excellent. Well, let's focus a little bit more then perhaps on the wedding day itself. What are you shooting with at the moment? What's your setup? So I work uh, with a three camera setup at the moment or for at least about half of the day. And then I switch to two cameras a little bit later on. And for the last uh, coming up for 18 months, I think it is now, I've been completely using mirrorless systems. So I moved away from the kind of traditional full size DSLRs yeah, sometime last year. And um, yeah, now I use mirrorless systems from Olympus and, uh, you know, it's fantastic. I, I just couldn't be happier with uh, with the kit. It's great. I know it inside out um, and it enables me to to work quickly, work efficiently, you know, work in a, a subtle way, which is what people want. And um, yeah, I couldn't be happier with the equipment now, really. I think we're at a place with with imaging technology where. Uh, the quality you can get from the you know current generations of cameras or even the generation or so before is phenomenal. So it's really about finding something that's uh, works for you, that kind of works with your approach, your style, and, and um, yeah, just just making sure you know it inside out. So it's more about finding something that works for you rather than seeing what others do and following them. So your your switch came about because what you, did you find that the SLRs were just holding you back? Was there something that kind of triggered a, a response in I've got to try something new or this isn't working as well as I hoped? Yeah, it was um, it was a physical problem really. I mean, I was I was working some kind of like twelve fifteen hour uh, days at weddings almost well, a couple of years ago now, and I was finding that the the, the day after the wedding um, it was really impacting me. You know, I, I, I was hardly able to get up out of bed some mornings after a kind of you know carrying two um like canon 5d3s with l glass on them one on each shoulder as you know a lot of people might work yeah. um but it was just it was just kind of causing me shoulder problems and i knew i had to do something about it and i had two options at the time one was to go to a single camera with a zoom lens and sort of you know be a just change lenses more throughout the day or the other was to look at lighter cameras I'm a prime shooter. I love shooting primes, always have done. And I'd used mirrorless cameras for some time before that, whether it was uh, the Fuji, I think X100S was the first kind of mirrorless camera I got and the Fuji X-Pro1 as well. So I'd, I'd known that the potential was there with the sensors that these cameras could do the job. I never felt that they were quite there for me in terms of the way I worked in, in, with speed and everything. So I tried alternatives and the Olympus models, even though it's a much smaller sensor, the, the speed of focusing and the, um, the quality that they were able to output was just brilliant. It, it absolutely changed the way I worked, just being able to work with such a lightweight system. It didn't hold me back at all. And um, yeah, it's worked very well. Yeah. So there's no disadvantages you found at all. The, yeah, no. I mean, the only the only one is they are slightly lagging behind in the high ISO performance. There's no denying that. You know, they're smaller sensors. Um, they just can't compete with the the very best high ISO performers nowadays. And I work in a lot of low light environments, 
So that's taking some adapting to. Mm. But that's not to say that they can't do it. You know, I, I work with some extremely fast prime lenses. We're talking f0.95 here, which is huge light gathering abilities. And those cameras as well, they've got, got incredible built-in stabilization in the, in the camera bodies. So they can actually work in really dark environments. And a combination of that and really getting to know how the files respond to processing um, has meant that I can still work in those dark environments and, and deliver the same quality of images to my clients. And that last point is key. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made these changes if I felt that there was a compromise there in the final product, but there, there hasn't been that compromise. That's awesome. And it's a smaller camera as well. And I wonder then, do you ever have like comments from guests almost surprised or even notice that you're actually the wedding photographer if they're carrying their, their big SLRs and then they see the guy with the small camera and... Is that a way actually of you just blending in even better with a day? Yeah, often. I mean, it, it can go um, in a couple of ways with that, actually. Guests will often notice the cameras and they'll often say, oh, is that film camera? Or just because it's so small and they've got quite an old school look about them. Mm. So that question comes up a lot. And in some ways, if you've got a guest who's quite uh, keen on photography or knows their photography, knows their cameras, it can actually um, you know, trigger that conversation and draw a little bit more attention to it than I might typically like at a wedding. But at the other end of the scale, particularly when I'm just using the two cameras, because they are tucked out of the way, they just disappear kind of almost behind me when I'm not using them, I, I can blend in, and it does make me less noticeable in that, in that scenario. I, I actually had some feedback not long after I made the switch, which was from one of my clients. Uh, they were saying how much they liked the images, and uh, she actually said to me, one of our guests had commented on the day, why haven't you got a wedding photographer? You know, why haven't you, ha- you chosen a photographer here? And they'd said, well, we had one. And there was another time a client had said, you know, she'd shown some of the, um, uh, she'd shown their images to some friends and family and everything. And again, it was a similar comment. They came back and said, well, we didn't even know you had a photographer there. So the fact that they'd then shown this set of images when they weren't expecting to see one. Yeah, that's was, amazing. It was brilliant. It, that's exactly what I, you know strive to do um to be able to be there around guests get on with them talk to them absolutely fine you know have a great time talking to guests but also to just be so subtle that i'm not really influencing things or kind of uh, you know unduly affecting the wedding as it goes on yeah perfect well that leads nicely into the next question i ask everyone if they've got you know, three killer tips for shooting a wedding so what, what do you have for us andy three things that you could you could say that either things that you do can be anything you like, but the actual shooting of a wedding, what three things have you got that would uh, help anyone out? Yeah, it's really interesting because I think if you'd have asked me this question maybe 12 or 18 months ago, I'd, I'd have had very, uh, you know, very different answer to it. People skills, that that's there absolutely from the outset. And I don't necessarily mean just talking to people and how you interact with people, but the way you observe and the way you kind of are able to pick up on their uh, their moods you know when's a good time to take a photograph when's not a good time to take a photograph because emotions can run high at weddings and I think there are times where you do need to hold back give people some space if someone is getting unduly emotional it might not always be the best time to take a photo sometimes it might but sometimes it might not and you've got to be able to read that vibe you've got to be able to read people and know when you are potentially overstepping a line of kind of uh, not being intrusive, but just kind of getting a little bit too close to someone in a potentially very emotional. That's really nice. It's not always about the shot when it's more it, about people's lives and emotions. And It is. Yeah, there, there, there's a balance. And, you know, you, you can get great shots at times without 
being intrusive to people and and uh you know i've always tried very hard to be an unobtrusive photographer and as well as capturing emotions which i think is incredible to be able to do that there are times when you just know you have to give a little bit of space and the same can apply with you know brides if you've got a bride who might be getting a little bit stressed before the uh before the ceremony or it could be the groom getting a little bit stressed before the ceremony you need to know that you've got to give them that that space so yeah the people skills Fantastic. are key yeah. that, number one people skills like it number one people skills yeah uh number two it's got to be about equipment so you you need to know your equipment inside out so that when it comes to the wedding day you can react and respond to anything that's going on without having to worry about your kit or where to find a setting or what to do or where a certain uh, like a spare battery might be for example anything like that is absolutely key you've got to know your equipment inside out what lens you're going to need at a particular time what settings you need to be uh, using at a particular time all of that links together to make to make sure that those tools that you're using that they're second nature you know you can reach in a pocket on your bag and draw out exactly what you need put it on the camera change settings uh, whilst it's at your eye and just be able to get the shot work quickly have you got a third for us a third is probably a practical one. Now, for me, this is about food and water. Okay, so it might not be an obvious, <laughs> it might not be an obvious tip for kind of people that are out there, but it's key. And I've I've had people come along working with me, and they've had to go and sit down because they're, uh, you know, they're getting dehydrated or they're tired or they've got you know, a, a drop of energy because they haven't eaten properly that day. It's absolutely key. I've been in that situation myself where. Uh, you know, hot weddings in summer. We do, believe it or not, for people that are listening and don't believe that we have hot um, summer weddings in the UK, but we do. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. And absolutely, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be the photographer that ends up kind of collapsing in a heat bit with, from heat exhaustion or because they haven't got enough energy. And I could absolutely see that happening at times with people. So it's, it's as about as being prepared with yourself as you are with your equipment. You know, making sure that you, as the final kind of piece of the imaging uh, equipment, are absolutely ready and primed to kind of do the job properly. That's fantastic. And even before collapsing, even if you're, you know, dehydration and the brain's ability to, to think and be creative is going to be suffering if, if it's not hydrated. Just shutting down because it's not getting water because you're thinking there's so many things I've got to be shooting. But having that, you know, you've got to make sure you look after yourself as a priority. It's great advice. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we can we can laugh about it a little bit and, and it does sound like not an obvious thing to be talking about, uh, but it's it's so key. You know, it's uh, we, if we're not looking after ourselves at the wedding or if you are thinking, where am I going to get my next bit of water from, then, yeah, that's going to cause problems. And as you say, you're not going to be able to think, you're not going to be able to be uh, creative and it all comes together. Fantastic. So the three tips, one, understand people better. And understand when is the right time to be in close or not as close. Number two, know your gear inside out. And number three, feed yourself and take lots of water on board. It's always nice to hear a story. And I wonder if you have any funny stories from weddings that you've shot. A really memorable story from a wedding that I shot. Uh, it, whether it's funny or not, I, I'm not too sure. But it's one that sticks in mind for me as just being such a, a moment that for me as a kind of professional I thought wow this is this is what wedding photography is about and it really hit me and it hit me emotionally so it probably wasn't so much funny but it was just the emotions of it and it was a wedding that I shot um, a few years ago now in, in Zermatt in Switzerland 
And, um, you know, it's incredible being out there anyway. Beautiful, uh, beautiful village, beautiful area. You know, we're under all these beautiful alpine mountains and everything. Uh, it was a, a Scottish couple who were marrying out there. And we were walking down from the church and Zermatt was full of tourists. And, and the plan was all the guests were going to be walking from the church to where the, uh, the, the, the reception was taking place at a hotel a little way through the, a little way through the town. And the couple being Scottish, they had a, a piper with them. So this, this piper had come over as well. And he's playing the bagpipes, which is obviously an you know, incredibly emotive sound. It's something that you hear bagpipes, you can't help but look where that sound's coming from. And we were walking through uh, you know, the village of Zermatt, and this piper's leading the wedding party. I'm out in front of the piper, taking photographs, and just looking at this, thinking, what a scene, what a thing to be doing, what an incredible event to be part of and witness. Um, you know, People stopping in the streets to let them pass. Just absolutely beautiful. And I thought at that stage, I'm so lucky to be doing this, but I'm also, I've got a duty to these, these people to make sure that this incredible uh, moment of their lives is captured and recorded properly. And it, it got me. I kind of, at that point, the, the emotion of the event really got me. And I was kind of having to uh, hide behind my camera just to sort of hide, the, uh, hide the, how much it affected me, I think, really. And there are moments in the day where it does, it hits you. you strikes a chord with you and it is nice to have a camera to hide behind sometimes i know what you mean well the, the other time that i find a camera very um useful to hide behind is quite often during the speeches if you've if you've got a great speech that, that's going on um you know particularly if it's uh, maybe a speech that's a little bit near the mark a little bit close to the knuckle i laugh at that kind of thing far too easily it comes back from being very giggly when i was at school but if I've got a camera to hide behind, you know, quite often that camera is going to be shaking like mad because I'm laughing at something that's come out in the speeches. So, yeah, that happens a lot. Yeah, yeah. And hey, Andy, I've noticed that you're, you're pretty keen on promoting your green credentials regarding like travel, sourcing sustainable products and even offsetting your carbon emissions, which is awesome. Have you found that clients have come to you because of this aspect that you promote? They have, actually. Yeah, it's um, it's something that people are showing more of an interest in um consistently uh, i've had blogs approach me as a result of that as well and you know there are there's a movement of natural environmentally friendly environmentally sensitive weddings as well people people want to to do that you know it, it's such a, a topic for a lot of people anyway that they are keen to have uh you know the green element to everything that they do whether it's their wedding or you know anything else that they might be doing and um, there's a really great company in the UK, Natural Weddings, which is a, a website that I'm listed on as well. And, and they're absolutely keen on this. You know, they, they push the eco-friendly side of things very, um, very much. And clients like it as well. You know, mm. it's, uh, if it's something that appeals to you, I think personally, then you, you get to a point where you start to question where everything's come from. We do that. We do that with our food at home. Um, I do it with, uh, you know, the products that I source and that I kind of provide to uh, my clients. And I think a lot of clients uh, uh, go through the same thought process. You know, they, they might question where their foods come from, question where their milks come from, you know, question where anything that they're buying has come from. And why should it be any different for, uh, you know, a service like wedding photography? It's absolutely fantastic. You've got that there because you're right. People will, when they're in that mindset and that thinking that's what they're looking for and having that there is is a great idea uh, something for me to think about as well and also one of the things i've seen you offer i know you're a bit of an audio file is it a photo film so a kind of a mix of audio and stills that's right yeah so um the photo films are uh yeah it's it's exactly that it's a it's a mix of audio and stills that just adds an extra dimension to 
um, you know, looking at looking at your images, it, it takes a little bit more work to to organise that, of course. Because yeah. I watched one fun. on the um, on your site, and man, I was just hooked. It was so powerful, couldn't stop watching the whole thing. And it was, why is the mix of the audio and the, it, with the images like so powerful? I think it's because it's it's somewhere in between um, still images, which have their own very strong impact you know there's no denying that that you look at a still image and and uh it, it can really take you to where that was taking place and it, you know you can really get emotive and, and into an image like that video at the other end of the spectrum again you know watch a, watching a video or watching a film you can have that same kind of interaction but what's really strong about the the photo films is it, it's somewhere in between the two you've got the the emotions of looking at an image and how you actually relate to that image but then it's brought alive with a combination of, uh, you know, some some uh, some speech, some audio that's being grabbed at a particular time, you know, that links to that picture. And also when you set it to music as well, I think that's the key thing that draws it all together. So you've got these elements that are then combined and it, it just takes it to a, a, a sort of different level. It's um, it's not something that we see every day. You know, it's either stills or video a lot of the time. So having stills with some uh, with the audio and with the music, I think it's just a really nice, distinct um, offering of its own. And talking of images, Andy, I've asked you to choose a wedding image of yours that you love, kind of maybe sums you up a bit as a photographer. Uh, can you describe what this image is and what makes it so special to you? I can. And it's really probably not an obvious image to choose in that it's uh you know it's not necessarily uh just a, a couple on their own sort of in the you know the, the wonderful backdrop on a wedding day it, it's nothing like that it's I, what i wanted to talk about was an image that was of the couple but incorporated some humor incorporated some fun and this particular image it's a, a couple that are walking through a gateway and um they're smiling they're laughing like mad with each other and the groom is holding a very, you know, fancy, nice white umbrella. But he's, he's kind of soaked. It's been raining and it, he's wet and he's kind of holding um, the umbrella for his wife. She's walking through um, the gate, you know, having to hold up her wedding dress because the, the ground's wet and everything. But the looks on their faces, it's just the, the joy and the, the fun of it, which for me is the kind of thing that I'm always really trying to uh, capture at a wedding. Fantastic. Well, we will be sharing that with everyone and uh, we can have a look for ourselves. Uh, just a couple more questions for you. I know we're, we're tight for time now. How do you keep balance in your life and how important is it to have a life outside of what you do with wedding work? I think it's incredibly important. Um, you know, we, we all need to find that balance between work and it's, it's the old thing, isn't it? The work-life balance. And it, it is incredibly important. You, you need to make sure that there are things outside of uh, your work your career whatever it is that still interest you and still you know get you excited about going out and doing them you know it, it's what we we work towards so for me a lot of that is my family i've got two young children and they take up a lot of time but they're they're brilliant they kind of keep me uh <laughs> keep me sort of busy and, and and everything and seeing them grow is is wonderful but i still need to find things for me you know outside of my uh, my kids and my wife i still need to find things for me and you need to make sure you've got the time for doing that. Going back to a point I made earlier about uh, getting up early in the morning, I've, I've just realized that it's a time that I can get so much stuff done for me. So typically I'll like to get up, maybe read a little bit. I mentioned going for a run or a bike ride and any of those things. If you just feel that you've given some time just for you, then I think it makes all the difference to uh, you know life in general. But particularly that day, I'll, I'll get so much more done in a day if I've had a really great start to it earlier in the morning. 
Great, yeah, great advice. Starting the day off on the right foot just sets you up for the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah it, it's a habit that I think uh, it takes can take a little while to get into it, particularly if you're not a morning person. But it's uh, yeah, it's a great thing to do and you can really feel like you've achieved a lot. Mm. All right, Andy, last question. One of my favorites and the one I always end on. Uh, I want you to imagine you can go back in time to before you started shooting weddings, right at the start. What would you go back and you're able to tell yourself some advice, the, the things that you know now, if you could go back to the start what would you tell your younger self <laughs> it's a good question and it's a great one to end on it's um i think a lot of photographers go through this process um whether you're in it just for the fun of photography for the love of, love of photography or whether you uh end up you know going down the professional route and, and making your career in photography equipment can be such a distraction you know, I mentioned earlier a couple of times, you've got to know your kit inside out. But it, it's so tempting, particularly over the last few years where technology has just marched on incredibly to be distracted by kit, new cameras, new gear. There's always something. And yeah, I just try and tell myself a couple of years ago, just keep your blinkers on to a lot of that. Just, you know, know the gear you've got, work hard on improving your skills. And that's what's going to make the biggest difference. Because if you do that, if you kind of take the, the new gear kind of syndrome out of it, then you'll focus on the things that are more important, which is your skills and your business. And if you can do that, everything else will follow. Perfect. Andy, thank you so much. It's been fantastic to have you on, hear how you roll. You've been awesome. Thank you, Simon. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you as well. It's been great. Cheers, dude. Thank you.